Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with Byteclear aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Byteclear aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at That's Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Hi there. It's Julia Louis-Dreyfus. You may know me from my podcast called Wiser Than Me, where I talk to older women and get their wisdom from the front lines of life. I was amazed by how many people told me our show made them look forward to getting older, which is why I'm here to talk about season two of the show. Sally Field, Billie Jean King, Beverly Johnson, Ina Garten, Bonnie Ray, just to name a few. All hail old women. Wiser Than Me season two is out now from Lemonada Media. Ah. The comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car selling command center. Thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. this episode of True Crime and Cocktails. We're so glad that you're here. As always, I am your host, Lauren Ash, and as always, I am joined by my co-hostess with the most S, Christy Oxborough. How you feeling? I'm here. <laughs> yeah. No, yeah. It's, I'm, I'm great because I'm with my favorite girl. Yes. Um, it's just, it's, it's, it's been a time. Yeah. It's been a time. I feel that. I feel that. I'm, um... I guess what I would say is unraveled. I sure. it's not not in a way that anyone needs to be alarmed. You know what it is is that I was on a television show for 6 years where my life was not my own, my schedule was not of my course. own, I had no control. And then for a year and a half I didn't I didn't have that. And I realize now if I could go back in time, <laughs> I would have drank in each day. <laughs> I would have drank Every drop of each day and never taken yeah. a second for granted. Um, no complaints. Again. Of course. Nothing to complain about. It's just one of those weeks. Um, I'm gearing up. I start my new show next week. And it's just one of those weeks where it's like, you got to get all the all the BS out of the way. You got to go to the dentist. You yeah. got to go. You got to get your hair colored. You got to get your, your nails situated. You got to do all the appointments. But then you also have to do all the prep for the show. So you got to go in, you got to do your fittings. You got to go in, you got to do the COVID testing. You got to go in, you got to do, um, you know, camera tests and stuff like that. So it's just, it's just a week. It's just a week. And I think once we're up and running, it'll be a little bit, it'll be, you know, you can get into a bit more of a schedule. What am I saying? No, I'm, no, you can't. You can't. It's always in flux. And it you is what it so is. so hard to be positive. Yeah. <laughs> and you couldn't even finish it. And you were like, no, I'm too much of a realist for that bullshit. I like yeah. it. 
I think yeah. it's because I've also somehow like strained a muscle. Like it's oh. it's like my body is shutting down. It's like go to yeah. bed, lay it down, suck it up, spit it out. <laughs> I don't know. I'm losing it. I'm yeah, losing it. yeah. Look, I get that. I get that. I uh, what? I mean, first of all, I on behalf of the people, the dear people, yeah. if they don't mind, um, I'm gonna say. Thank you to you for showing up. Hey. You've had a week. You've had a day. And here you are still cramming work in at the end of a very long work day. So. And I I appreciate that. I do thank you kindly. Um, it's, uh, you know, it's what we do. It's what we do. Yeah. For the love, it for is. the passion, for the laughs, for the tears. Yeah. You know, I think I've realized uh, this week, we often are both very busy in our own ways. Yes. And I feel like I've realized you and I are basically the beginning of like, oh God, maybe some sort of like TV movie where we're like neighbors and Mm -hmm. we see each other's lives and we're like, oh, what I wouldn't give to live her life. She's got it so easy. And then we somehow lightning everything goes out and we swap bodies freaky fridaying and then we wake up and we're like oh my god this is so much harder than i thought i'm exhausted and it's in the end it's both of us going i don't know how she does it and then we like magically come back and whatever we of course have never once been like oh she's got it easy no but i'm just saying we're given that vibe yeah where it's like oh i mean like take your children to swimming lessons that seems like a really easy task. That wouldn't be yeah. cumbersome in any way. Um, I, I'm I'm in week five of six of doing swimming lessons. Uh, too much, too much. I've been off more than I can chew. But it's so humid in that pool that you sit there and you melt. And I know it's mostly our DNA that is causing that. Of course. Uh, because there are so many people around me who are sitting there and they're fine. And I'm like dabbing with the kid's towel that I'm going to hand them when they get out of the pool. It's so hot. Today, I say it every day I come home and my husband's always like, how was it? And I'm like, oh, it was the worst day yet. Every day I manage to say that. Today, I'm like, no, no, I mean it. Today was so bad. They had to prop the door open. And every adult that entered the area just immediately went, oh, like you could hear it. And everyone was like fanning themselves and it was bad. But I will give a shout out to my husband. He He's working, of course, during the day, which is of why course. I, because uh, my work is easier to juggle the hours around. I can do my job at 2 a.m. He cannot. So... He's working during the day, so I take the kids to the swimming lessons. He had a day off, and he's like, you know what? I'll take them for you that day, give you a break. And I was like, you know what? That'd be great, because I had been there about eight times at that point. I'm like, I'm done. I'm done. It's like an hour, but it's fresh hell. So I'm like, yeah, okay. That'd be great. He went there the once. And then he came home, and he placed an Amazon order without me knowing. And the next, a couple days later, I went to go and he's like, by the way, I, 
I got you something. And he pulled out a small fan, a little electric fan with like this battery pack that I bring with me now. And I set it up and I just let this little breeze go on me. And at first I teased him horribly. And I was like, wow, you went to one and you had to buy yourself a fan for the next time you go? And he was like, no, I went to one and went, oh, this is hell. And I bought you a fan. I was like... (laughs) I'm a bitch. You're right. <laughs> I should have I should have known you uh you were uh doing something very very kind and thoughtful. So, shout out to my husband for that. And I don't know, I don't think she listens to the show, but uh shout out to my dear friend Amanda who also has for the last few weeks had her children at swimming lessons at the same time as me. And it's basically just 45 minutes of us going Oh, it's so hot. Why are we doing this? Like, we just don't understand. It's I for the kids, like, for the safety, but. Yeah, no, I think that yeah. it's really wonderful. But I guess for me, I yeah. my question is, what's the ventilation issue? What are we doing over there, guys? It's, something's wrong. Something's, something's got to be wrong. Something's up. At something's this point, be something's up. up. I understand yeah. that it can get a little steamy in the summers um, for some in, sure. with an indoor pool. That's not atypical, I think. But sure. it shouldn't be so oppressive. That it's, people feel like their their health is being impacted. I think oh, is my is my issue. It's bad. Like, look, if I if I thought I was dropping like five, ten pounds a day, I was there, I'd be like, okay, now we're talking. But now, no. I just come home a little wet and crankier than I was when I got there. So it's 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 less of a good time, especially when it's you don't just go and watch the lessons. You got to make the most of your time. So it's, you go there and you try and write your notes. Like I had a small notepad and I was writing the synopsis for this show this morning in the very small window that I had before I have to go take one, change them and come back and sit and watch the second one. And it's like, oh yeah, that seems decent. But then it's like, oh, and then you get home. Most of your morning is shot because you've been getting them ready and getting them there. And today I was late. I haven't been on time since I had a third child. I don't know how to be on time. I just don't. Two kids, I could handle it. Three, fuck it, I'm done. Uh, I don't know how to be on time. I I picked up my middle one. I had to leave early so I could pick him up from a sleepover. It's summer. Go for it. Sleepover during the week. Love it. I had to go pick him up. We get to the pool. We had four minutes on the clock. And I was like, yes, we still have four minutes before your lessons start. We're good to go. Wait, why is your teacher over at the showers? Those children, are those those children from your class? And my youngest is like, yeah. I'm like, then get your goggles on and get in the pool. (laughs) It was just, it was this moment of, she started early. For the first time in the five weeks I've been there, she started the class early. And I was like, what are the odds? How is that possible? She has a class before us. They're really, like, scheduled. I'm like, how'd you stop? I can't bless her. Yeah. He's he's terrified of her, but just because she's a woman. And I'm okay with him being afraid of women. Listen. If I'm being honest. <laughs> yeah, it, it doesn't come in from a bad perspective. You know what I mean? Let no. the Let fear the, the female power. Yeah. And uh, be that way till about 18. Yeah. Into, you know, that. into 21, maybe even. You know what I mean? Take another few years. 23, 25. 30. What are we doing there? Yeah. 32. 
That may be the my, time. My kids already know that I am absolutely um, not going to be the woman that's like, when am I getting grandkids? Because I've right. been telling them for the last decade, no rush. It's no rush. Because even, even 10 years from now, which seems like bananas to say, I don't even know if I'll be, I don't even know if I'll be ready for the responsibility then. Yeah, I get that. You know, like, that's a lot. Yeah. Like, also, I I need a solid chunk of time, and nine months is not going to be enough to fully lock in. Am I Mima? Oh. Am I Gam Gam? Am I Gammy? <laughs> like, am I going to come up with another adorable one that they're so embarrassed by? And they're like, please don't make my child call you that. Yeah. I mean, do you feel like you want to go traditional or do you think you want something unique? Oh, I'm not going to be, I don't think I can be grandma. What about Nana? Maybe. Oh, she doesn't love it though. She doesn't love it. No, no, it doesn't. No. (laughs) Part of me is like, could I be like gammy? Could I be, I don't know, for some reason, every time I think of it, Mima always comes out first, but I'm like, Mima feels, I don't know. I feel like maybe they should just call you Sophia. <laughs> like the golden girl. This is my I Sophia. Would be, I would be honored. Right? Oh, Sophia, nice to meet you. Oh, no, it's Christy, actually. But I thought that only they can call me Sophia. This is my yeah. Sophia, Christy. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, I like this a lot. Yeah, right? But then I'm just like, do I purposely learn another language just so I can be like grandma in another language that sounds more fun than the word grandma? Sure. But you could also choose anything. You could be like tulip petal. You could be, this is my petal. (laughs) This is my tulip. Right? Like, you're right. It could be anything. Right. Yeah. Oh. I like that. Like, I, oh, God, what would I pick? Oh, see, this is why I need time. I need giggles. so much this time. This is giggles. I mean, come on. Right? This, uh, this is a fun game in itself. What on earth would I be? And the answer is, I don't know, but I'm going to need years. Well, yeah. To figure it out. What I should do is just start writing them down now. And when that day f- comes, decades from now... I look through that list and give it a check or a cross off. Yep. Because well, you love a list. That's the thing. Future me will yep. thank past me for making a list. Start the list today. Yeah. And we're going to just, we're going to pick away at it over the years. And then you're going to call me and you're going to be like, you're not going to believe this. This one of them is having a baby. And I'm going to say, get the list. <laughs> and then what I am thought- I? Then what am I? Oh, I guess I'm oh, still Auntie yeah. Carrot. I can still I can still be Auntie Carrot till the end of time because I can be Grand sure. Auntie Carrot also or Great Auntie of Carrot, course. right? Oh, I assume if you're Grand, you're going to go with Auntie. I, you know what? Damn it! Maybe we should be upgrading me. When do I get to be an aunt? Yeah, yeah. Well, look, all it's going to take is the next time that you see them, they call you something, and I go, "Pardoned," and then they go auntie you know like it'll it'll be a thing you know speaking yeah. of ants yeah the bug 
I had a dream the other night that I was getting swarmed and bitten by bugs. Or sorry, by ants specifically. All over my feet and ankles. What do we think that's about? What am I working out there? That felt, it felt aggressive. I mean, is that some sort of like a, you feel like you're being eaten alive? Oh, shit. Like your, your time's not your own? There's not enough time in a day? I mean, it's possible. You are better at the dream analysis than I am. I know, but you I came am, out with that right away. You feel like I you're did. being eaten alive. I mean, wow, that feels like something. It has to be, right? Like, I I have so many concerns about dreams that I have. They're often odd and just yeah. like, that doesn't make sense. And then you just run with it and... Sometimes I remember them, but sometimes I don't. And it's really crushing that I don't. But I do remember very specifically, I used to have a dream journal. Oh, and same. I, yeah. I think I, on, I think I only wrote down maybe like three or four. One, for some reason, I only remember the detail of it involved a member of the band Corn, But he like morphed into somebody else mid-dream. I don't know. For some reason, I may find that, see if I still have it and read a couple for fun at some point. Yeah. But one of them, I specifically remember, um, oh, I think it was like early, early 2000s or late 90s. I had this dream that I had a baby boy and I, I went to hand it to somebody so I could put my shoes on and said, could you hold him? And they said no and laid the baby on the floor while I put my shoes on, which is so many layers. But the thing, the whole point of me bringing it up and why I have, it's always stuck with me. I saw the dream journal years later and was flipping through it. The date of that entry, I had a baby, my first baby boy on that exact day, like five years later. Whoa. Right? Yeah, that's wild. Yeah, obviously a different year, but like the exact day and month. Huh. And it has weirded me out ever since. Like I was flipping through Reddit and went, oh, that's weird. That is weird. Because you were flipping through through the journal and Reddit. Yes. You weren't flipping through Reddit. Correct. Got it. Just making sure. I haven't uh, gone through Reddit in a while. I used to. Don't do it. Well, I used to. And I even went through a... What, like back when I had so much free time, I went through uh, a section that was like um, looking for pen pals. And I was like, I'd do a pen pal thing with like, you know, someone from another country or whatever. Yeah. Uh, ended up, I think, sending letters with one person. Never got a response. Uh, and the other one, we started with emails and made it about two before they ghosted me. So if I've learned anything... <laughs> That was not, it was not the time. It was not the time. What I wouldn't give if it turned out that they ended up listening to the show and had no idea. It was you. That it was me and had forgotten. Like, that would be a very long time thing that would make me laugh. But. Yeah. Well, you know, it's interesting, too. I I remember once I, uh, one of the methods I once took back in the day to try and uh, meet potential suitors was I, if I met somebody new, so if I met like a like a gal um, who is married, typically, sure. I would say, 
do you and your partner have any single friends that you might sure. want to set me up with? It never works. This has literally never worked. But once, but once, there was one gal and she was like, yeah, absolutely. I can't remember his name. We're going to call him Luke. I don't know why. Anyway, so she's like, I've got this friend, Luke. I'll connect your emails, connect you via email. So she does. I think she sent us pictures of each other. We were both like, yeah, we're game. Great. Um, Well, upon first emails, we determined that Luke no longer lives in L.A. Luke has moved to New York. So suddenly she was like, oh, shit, I didn't know that. Sorry. And then it was one of those things where I think both Luke and I were, were both really kind of like looking to make a connection and maybe had both had been, you know, had been been around the block a little bit, had had some some lack of luck. Sure. And so we we tried to press forward. I think both of us had the thought of like, but isn't this a great meet cute that it was like, we're in the different cities, but we kept talking. It petered out. It petered out. You know what I mean? Um, sure. And I, 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 I wonder about Luke sometimes. And I wonder if maybe if I should have, you know, made more of an effort to keep it going. But he didn't either. He didn't either. And that is what oh, it is. You know what I mean? There you go. But um, speaking of Peter... <laughs> Did, Peter didn't get mentioned at all. <laughs> you know why? This is how my ADHD brain works. I was like, Luke, you gotta rob Paul to pay Peter to pay Luke. That's not even a real joke, but that's what I had thought in my mind. And then that made me think of Peter Pan, which made me think of the greatest compliment I've ever been given, which was the other night I was at the Lord of the Rings premiere for the, the new series, The Power of the Rings. Sure. That's gonna be on Amazon. And I was wearing this uh, green dress, short dress, and I had my hair done up in a butt like a high bun with my blonde hair. And this woman working the event, she stopped me and she said, excuse me, I just wanted you to know that some of the other people and I were watching you walk down the red carpet getting your photo taken. And I just said, my God, that woman looks so much like Tinkerbell. And I stopped in my tracks and I said... That might just be one of the greatest compliments I've ever been given. And I thank you, stranger. And she was like, you're welcome. Um, I, 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 the, n- no follow-ups. Just that here's what I would say. Compliment yeah. a stranger, dear listeners. If you have an opportunity, yeah. compliment a stranger. Because that made my life. It was like when Christy told me that I was the human personification of Minnie Mouse. And I was like, that is literally, literally the greatest thing you've ever said to me. The greatest compliment I've ever received. I understand they're both Disney related. It's not a coincidence. But you know what I mean? And what does it cost you? What did it cost that gal? Absolutely not a penny. Not a goddamn penny. But did it pay off in dividends for me? So many things. Yeah. So, uh, one... I like your use of suitors. Thank you. Two, I like that this went from pennies into full math and dividends. <laughs> it's an investment. I- <laughs> Just like listening to this podcast. Because <laughs> if you listen long enough, we're bound to get to the case. <laughs> we'll get there. We always do. That's a promise I will make. We always, we always do. do. We always do. Yep. It's, look, dear listeners, <laughs> we've had a week. And I know what you're thinking. You took your kids to swimming lessons. Boo-hoo. You There's went other to a TV it. premiere, walked around yeah. the carpet. Wah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And look, I, I, I'm going to add, I there's also like so much laundry a, and then like- a lot of other things also. Yeah. Feeding, 
these children who have to swim and yeah you know working on <laughs> working on this episode things like that uh back to school's coming up so i have to wash all the new clothes that i bought and show them that i didn't feel like taking them with me so i chose options on my own and they may or may not like that and then the labeling and the packing of the school supplies and one of my children has three birthday parties in the next five days. So it's just <laughs> a lot of things yeah. at one at one time. So there's a reason 7-Eleven has seen me almost every day Yeah, in the past week. Usually sweaty coming from the pool and they're just like, we, we get it. Why aren't they across the street? I don't know. I don't know either. Now, listen, we got to get into it, but I do want to mention yeah. this very quickly. Quite often, uh, the dear listeners uh, on TikTok will tag me in things solely to send to you because you're not on the TikTok. Um, I'm not. And so I will, dear listeners, I do pass them along. Don't get me wrong. I do. This one I forgot, and you just made the penny drop. Pennies from heaven. Shooby dooby. That's the energy. Point being. I uh, love this. That's the pennies from heaven. I thought, are, are pennies from heaven not a – is that not an Eric Clapton thing? That's tears, tears from heaven. It's about his deceased child, but close. Close. Wowza. Someone, Wowza. someone just admitted they're not a big music buff. <laughs> not a big Clapton fan. No, um, no, I'm not. But now that you say that, fuck, you're right. They were tears, not pennies. So sorry. Continue. I love all of it. Uh, anyway, <laughs> someone tagged me in a in a video. I'll send it to you. Uh, but the what the person did was, you know, yeah. the lid that goes atop the the Slurpee. The, yes, the, of course. The bubble lid. This yes. person had flipped it and then filled it, filled it, and then way. filled it so it was quite like the the peak. Yes. Right? Yeah. You ever do that? Uh, <laughs> you ever try First that? Of all, couldn't be happier uh, at the energy we're bringing. Currently. Oh, yeah. It's chaotic. <laughs> <laughs> the very best. Yeah. Look, I've already insulted Eric Clapton, so oh, it no. is what it is. Uh, I have seen uh, like a photo of someone doing it that way. I am scared of the mess of it. The slip sliding. That was my yes. concern. I'm like, what's not going to make it just slip off of there like a bolt? Yes. Especially because I tend to get mine. It immediately goes in a car cup holder. And then I got to hold like three more because usually I will go and Lord knows they all want one, but no one wants to physically come with me to get it. <laughs> I'm allowed to, to say that because I've already positively shouted out my husband. So of course. I'm allowed to say that. Of course. But, um, I mean, obviously the kids will come with me if they're already in the car. Right. With exception to yesterday, one of my children, his legs were just too tired. He didn't want one at all. And as I was getting out of the car, I went, are you sure? And he goes, just a Dr. Pepper. And as I'm closing the door, he goes, not the small one. <laughs> This and all tracks very all hard tracks. Yeah. because that's that's the joke. That's how it starts. The littler kids, they have the little tiny cup and you move on with your life. Yeah. And then one day you're like, it's like a birthday or it's a special occasion. So you're like, you know what? Today you can get the next size up Slurpee. Yeah. And usually you go back to the other one. But my kids have learned once you go to the bigger one, you don't go down. 
So now my youngest is like, well, obviously I get the second one now. I'm like, I don't think that's true. But lately, he's been trying to jump himself up to the next one. Like, <laughs> you could not do that. So he'll stand there. He'll get in front of the four sizes of cups and he'll look at them and he'll stand between the two middle ones and kind of do this jazz back and forth and then go, oh, I don't know, which one? And I go, obviously. So I'm like, he is playing me. He's making it so that I'm like, obviously you have to take the blue one. Oh, I should be a real bee next time and go, the green one, the small one. Yeah. Or you see a lid, fill it. That's all you get. Just a lid. <laughs> I would never do that. The point is, I'm, I'm out of, I'm out of control. Well, look. when I was done these notes, I sent you the timeline. Yeah. And then immediately got into working on something else that I worked on until you said, sent, which is the text I always get when she's sent me the Zoom for yeah. us to start. So I've been, I've been working on this a little bit at the pool, but since 11 o'clock today. And it's it's now going on about 12 hours. So <laughs> my brain is everywhere. Look, I'm so sorry, Mr. Clapton. Yeah, we do. We <laughs> apologize. We, we were a little glib and that was not normally our style on this no. show. But we're, uh, no. you know, we're just two women. No. Getting by. Um, look, let's get into the case. Uh, also, before I do that, get out your gam gam list because I got out of one to add. I'm I'm thinking maybe I could go by Auntie Tink uh, because of Tinkerbell, and then that made me think for you, who's a Disney character that Christy loves? How about this one? Try this on for sides. Buzzy. <laughs> or, or, or Buzz Buzz. <laughs> <laughs> they uh, <laughs> they uh, they are someone is going to turn this into buzz buzz has a thing for bees and i'm gonna get so many bee knickknacks yeah oh yeah okay well scratch buzz, it buzz. scratch it i like that it. uh auntie tink auntie tink aunt tink and if you don't applaud her she will die. Isn't that Tinkerbell's Absolutely Tinkerbell's thing? Is. You have to give her attention or she... And then know? it's pixie dust coming from heaven. Okay. Yeah. Uh, what yeah. you drinking over there, by the way? I got three <laughs> I got three things going on over here, so... Oh, good for you. I've yeah. only got the two. A water. Yep. And a nice cherry Kool-Aid. That's nice. I felt that it was probably too late for a pop. I'd like or you to know... Soda. I got a cup of water. Of course. I've got a McDonald's cup. This is a reused cup that I put my own Diet Coke and ice in because I didn't oh have a God. cold Diet Coke. That's a Laurel move. It was a, this is a waxy cup. This is a waxy cup. If you want to know more yeah. about that, just sign up for our Patreon, patreon.com slash cocktails <laughs> and look for the Mother Laurel Happy Hour because uh, she goes on and on about her waxy cups, and I'm slowly becoming her, and it is what it is. Finally, Watermelon High Noon. Let's get into hey. it. Speaking hey. of buzz buzz, any hoodle. This episode, we're of course talking about Thelma Todd. I'm going to be honest with you, I don't know a, a lick about this case, and I could hey. not be more excited to have my best gal walk me through it. I'm also having wicked deja vu specifically about this case. Is there anything to do with ice cream in this? Uh, she only the fact that her name, like her nickname, was the ice cream blonde. Did not know that, and I'm telling you, I dreamt this, but that's for another story. I'm not even kidding. That's wild. I haven't That's looked at this. weird. We'll unpack that later. For now, let's get into it. 
Thelma Todd was an actress in the 1920s and 30s known for her comedic talents and her immense beauty. Nicknamed both Hot Toddy and the Ice Cream Blonde, Thelma's star was on the rise when she was mysteriously found dead in her ex-boyfriend's garage 30 hours after attending a party. So what happened to Thelma Todd? Was it an innocent mistake of trying to take shelter from the cold? Or was Thelma's body placed there by a former lover? And why would members of the mob want Thelma out of the way? Christy Oxborough investigates. Look, I like that you were already drawn to the ice cream blonde without even knowing it. That's so bizarre. For me, I need you to know this will make no sense to so many people. Um, I used to love the show Will and Grace, Mm. specifically Sean Hayes' character, uh, Jack McFarlane. I've always just, God, I love him so much. In one, I believe it was one single episode. I couldn't even tell you what episode it was. He was trying, He, I think he was talking with Will maybe or something, but he was discussing men that he had dated. And somebody made a comment about some guy named Todd. And Jack was like, no, I don't think I know that. I don't think I know that. Oh, right, right, right. Hot toddy, hot toddy. And for some reason that, hearing him say hot toddy, has been stuck in my head all week. Mm. And it's slowly driving me mad. Well, <laughs> I don't know what that was from. It wasn't a memorable scene, but for some reason, it's in there. Also, well, this the is how we get Matt it out of Damon. the head. This is Come how we on. get it out of your head right now. Yeah. yeah, it is. All right. So, disclaimer, as always. This episode will contain mentions of physical abuse and suicide, so trigger warning for those who need it. John Shaw Todd immigrated from Ireland to Massachusetts in 1883 when he was about 12 years old. In 1895, 19-year-old Alice Elizabeth Edwards immigrated to America from Canada. Hello, I'm not sure where she ended up starting out, but Alice made her way to Boston, where she soon met John. The couple were married on June 20th, 1900, at the home of John's father. After the wedding, the Todds lived in Boston, while John worked at a carpet store called Thomas O'Callaghan and Company. But soon John and Alice moved 30 miles or 46 kilometers north to Lawrence to be closer to family. On July 27, 1903, the couple welcomed a son, William Edward, and almost exactly three years later, on July 29, 1906, they welcomed a daughter, Thelma Alice Todd. Thelma was described as a healthy and happy child who brought laughter and fun wherever she went. Thelma and William were inseparable, and early on, the Todd family was very happy. Later in life, Thelma said, quote, I was fortunate in having a mother and father who were genuinely in love. But the Todd family suffered a series of tragedies, the first of which occurred in August 1910. And just a warning, as this is a bit graphic. Okay. Uh, Alice took William and Thelma to Randolph, Vermont to visit family. There was no reason given as to why John didn't go with them, but it's assumed that most likely he had to work. During the trip, William became captivated with the machines at a local creamery. After being shooed away by employees several times, William managed to sneak into the building when employees weren't around. Sadly, William stood too close to the machines, his clothing got caught, and he was pulled into the equipment. Oof. It fractured his skull and his neck. 
It was just one month after William's seventh birthday. Oh. He was described as winsome and bright. Thelma, who was just four years old at the time, was with her brother during the accident, and she was the one who ran to get help. A witness said that William was, quote, crushed beyond recognition before Thelma's eyes. Oof. Thelma later admitted that after the loss of her brother, she tried to fill his place. She became more rough and tumble, as it were, opting for trousers as opposed to dresses. When she was eight, Thelma joined a boys' baseball team and later on played on a hockey team and did horseback riding. Now, of course, today gender is very fluid, but back in 1910, it was shocking to see a girl do activities that were usually reserved for boys. And let me tell you, I couldn't be happier to see a girl getting in there and competing against boys. Yeah. I, I Seeing when there's, there's usually like only a handful of them, but seeing... The girls that join the flag football league really makes my heart sing. Oh, yeah. It's nice because then they're faster than the boys and that just gives me life. Ah, but the boys were very drawn to Thelma. By the age of 12, boys were lined up to carry her books home or ask her to a dance. But Thelma didn't like the attention and wouldn't let a boy kiss her until she was 18. You know Good what? for her. Good for her. In high school, Thelma was a good leader and a role model. She was popular and outspoken with a good temperament and natural confidence. Thelma created a school social club and participated in school productions such as Lavender and Old Lace at Lawrence City Hall on May 4th, 1923. Thelma took classes in dance, singing, and public speaking, and while it may have seemed as though Thelma was preparing for a life on the big screen, surprisingly, she had no desire to become an actress. After graduating from Lawrence High School in 1923, Thelma did some modeling and dancing gigs. In October 1923, a fashion review was put on by a local theater. Thelma participated and was so successful, she earned $20 in gold, a three-month membership to the theater, and a pair of shoes from the 20th Century Store. In 1924, Thelma won a small role in a local production of The Life of St. Genevieve, but even then, still no big dreams of stardom. So Thelma got a job at a local drugstore, but she soon grew bored and moved on to a position as a salesgirl at a department store. However, Thelma was so popular with the young men who would just flock to the store to see her that the manager had to transfer Thelma to the basement. Eventually, Thelma was let go. Her father, John, stormed to the store to demand to know what happened and was told his daughter was just too much of a distraction. They even admitted they turned Thelma down for a position in the hosiery department because she was just too beautiful. Oh, wow. Yeah. But also, I can't mention John Todd's temper without pointing out, from what I can tell, John was very short-tempered and at times physically abusive. I don't know to what extent. I mean, any abuse is too much, of course. I just don't know the frequency with which it happened. Uh, after the fall of 1924, Thelma started teacher training at Lowell Normal School. Then in April 1925, the Elks Lodge held a beauty contest. But Thelma wasn't going to enter 
A friend once said, quote, Thelma would just laugh at people when they told her how beautiful she was. But after much insisting from her friends, Thelma reluctantly entered, and on June 1st, she was crowned the winner. This led to Thelma being named Miss Massachusetts just two weeks later. So around this same time, Jesse Lasky, who was the first president of the famous players Lasky Corporation, announced plans for a school for future movie actors and actresses called the Paramount Pictures School. Lasky said that they would select 20 men and women from across the country and bring them to a studio on Long Island. After an elimination round, applicants were then moved on to screen tests, and those with the best screen tests were interviewed. The program would last 22 weeks, and at the end, successful students were promised a one-year contract with a four-year option with famous players Lasky Corporation, as well as a personal letter of reference from Lasky himself. The gross part for me in all of this was they specifically wanted men aged 18 to 30 and women 16 to 25. Oh, God. And honestly... Can we stop thinking that women peak at a younger age than men? Can Mm -hmm. we just stop? It's boying. Boying. So, the first year this school is open, 30,000 people applied, including Thelma. Although she did not actually personally apply, someone else sent in her photos. When they got the photos, they immediately called her and invited her to interview. So she skipped a lot of steps in the middle. Interesting. And while Thelma still believed that she didn't want to become an actress, she decided to go along for the experience, thinking it would make for good stories to tell her students when she returned to teaching. In the first class, 16 16 students were chosen to study, including Charles Buddy Rogers and, of course, Thelma Todd. They took classes on makeup, costumes, etiquette, improvising, character study, as well as viewed lectures from prominent industry names. Classes began July 20th, 1925, and by September, local media were calling Thelma one of the most prominent students. Near the end of the term, the students filmed a comedy called Fascinating Youth, starring Thelma and Charles Buddy Rogers. At its first screening, the film got a standing ovation, and locals campaigned for it to run at the Palace Theatre in Lawrence in May 1926. Thelma was given a contract, which made her decide to move to New York full-time. Despite opening in 1925, the Paramount Pictures School closed in the spring of 1928. Thelma returned to Lawrence to finish off the year as a student teacher. On the last day, students asked Thelma to sign their autograph books, and in one she wrote, quote, Live a gay life, die young, and make a beautiful corpse. Wow. Which Chilling. Is so tragic for what lies ahead, but, you know... Uh, With Thelma's star on the rise, there was a rumor going around that she was engaged to a local Lawrence man. However, it turned out to be a lie, as the man, who was not even dating Thelma at all, was just trying to ride her coattails to fame. Which, again, boying. Yep. Thelma made the move to New York, and her parents moved with her to be closer to their only child. Then, sadly, on Thelma's 20th birthday... July 29, 1926, her father, John, died from a massive heart attack at the age of 55. It's the fact that it happened on her birthday that 
feels. Yeah. Next level. While in New York, Thelma got her start in silent films with small roles in the films God Gave Me 20 Cents and The Popular Sin. And in early 1927, she was cast in a bigger role in the comedy Rubber Heels, starring Chester Conklin and Ed Wynn, who some of you may know as Uncle Albert in Mary Poppins. Oh, there we go. Which, Mary Poppins, what a delight. In April 1927, Thelma and her mother, Alice, moved to Hollywood. But Thelma found it incredibly isolating and just outright hated the initial experience. Thelma quickly doubted her abilities and debated about quitting. But Alice encouraged her to stay. And just one month and one day after after they first arrived, Thelma was given a small role in a Western called Nevada, starring Gary Cooper. Uh, Now, I hate this term, but that's what it's called, so I'm going to use it. When the talkies, a.k.a. films with sound, started to become a thing, the first one was The Jazz Singer, which was released in October 1927. But producer Hal Roach signed Thelma on to do some comedies in the fall of 1930 with the likes of Laurel and Hardy. In 1931, Roach cast Thelma in a series of comedy shorts in an attempted female version of Laurel and Hardy. There were 17 shorts between June 1931 and May 1933, pairing Thelma with Zasu Pitts. But when Zasu left, she was replaced by Patsy Kelly, who went on to make 21 shorts with Thelma from September 33 to January 1936. The gimmick was always the same. Thelma was the level-headed working girl who struggled to deal with her embarrassing and ditzy best friend slash sidekick. Right. Also in 1931, Thelma was cast in the movie Corsair. The director, Roland West, didn't like that Thelma was known for her comedic talents, as Corsair was a serious drama. So Roland asked Thelma to change her name, quote, to take the taint of comedy away from her and give her a chance as a dramatic actress. So Thelma was billed as Allison Lloyd, a name that combined her character's first name with the name of a member of the crew. Corsair would be the only credit for Allison Lloyd. And to Roland, I say, if you wanted someone who was more drama and less comedy, then why did you specifically choose someone known for comedy? Probably because he maybe was already in love with her even before meeting her. Mm -hmm. And during filming, 24-year-old Thelma fell in love with 46-year-old Roland West, and the couple started an affair. Their relationship was described as volatile because he was controlling and possessive. At the time, Roland was married to 34-year-old actress Jewel Carmen, who was known for being intense and dramatic. When filming came to an end, so did Roland and Thelma's relationship. Also around this time, Thelma met Mae Whitehead, who would become her maid and right-hand woman for the rest of her life. In 1931 continued as a whirlwind year for Thelma, as she appeared in The Maltese Falcon, as well as movies playing opposite the Marx Brothers and Buster Keaton. Then in October 1931, Thelma met Pasquale Pat DiCicco, who was a businessman, an actor, theater manager, movie producer, and an agent. 
He also allegedly worked for a known mobster known Lucky Luciano. And we'll get into that later. Of course. uh, He was also known for his volatile and abusive behavior. And it turns out DeChico was the first cousin to Albert R. Broccoli, who is the producer most known for the James Bond movies. Hey! Yeah. Thelma and DeChico got married on July 18, 1932, when they were 25 and 23, respectively. It was tumultuous at best, including drunken fights, which at one point led to a broken nose for him. Many have suggested that a fight between them led to Thelma undergoing an emergency appendectomy. However, according to author Michelle Morgan, Thelma's appendix was removed in 1926, which was four years before she even met him. So, obviously, that wasn't a thing. Just three months after the wedding, in October 1932, Thelma became so gravely ill that she was admitted to a hospital. She had some sort of abscess that got infected and turned into periotinitis, uh, which is an inflammation of the lining of the abdomen. Uh, It is usually caused by a burst appendix, but again, it was removed years prior, but it also can come from a hole in the bowel, which sounds horrific. Thelma remained in the hospital for weeks. Producer Hal Roach believed it was really an abortion or a miscarriage. Interesting. He thought the marriage was a shotgun affair. I have found absolutely nothing to corroborate that. And I just assume that Roach is a hateful man and is jealous that Thelma never went for him. I have nothing to base that on. Roach was married at the time, but Thelma was 14 years younger than him. And we know what Hollywood is like. We do. Then on January 22nd, 1933, DeChico and Thelma were driving home from a night out down Hollywood Boulevard, when DeChico swerved to avoid another vehicle, their car hit a palm tree. DeChico had minor bruises and scratches. Thelma, however, had a lacerated ear and a chest injury that turned out to be three broken ribs on one side, a broken shoulder, and internal injuries. Part of me wonders if they got into a fight and it got physical and the accident was faked to avoid the press especially when their injuries were just so incredibly different in severity. Yeah. And since DeChico has a history of being violent towards women, more on that later. Yeah. Thelma filed for divorce in March 1934, citing cruelty and incompatibility. On July 8th, 1934, Thelma signed on to do eight more comedies with Hal Roach, which would include the full-length Laurel and Hardy feature The Bohemian Girl. Thelma mysteriously died during the production, which we will get into shortly, but at the time of her death, Thelma had completed shooting all of her scenes. But Hal Roach feared negative blowback from the public, so he reshot all of Thelma's scenes, deleted all of her dialogue, and limited Thelma's screen time to a single musical number. It was released February 1936, and I know I'm not in the biz but it feels like a better move would have been to release the film in Thelma's honor and let her fans see her full final performance. Yeah. Maybe I'm wrong. Uh, But we can't talk about Thelma without talking about the other side of her career, and that's as a business owner. Oh. A new property development called, oh, I should have looked this up, Castle Amar? 
Does that sound right? Yeah. Yeah, something like that. Uh, it was being built just north of Santa Monica along the Pacific Coast Highway. The area is now uh, Pacific Palisades. Oh. Essentially. Uh, there were going to be winding streets, Mediterranean and Spanish-style homes, bridges leading to the nearby beach. Roland West and his wife, Jewel, bought a section of land and had an $85,000 Spanish-style house built into the hillside on Ravello Drive. That $85,000 translates to about $1.8 million in 2022. The building was so large that the garage was down on Positano Drive. And no worries, I will post a map on our socials of all of this on Instagram and Facebook at True Crime and Cocktails and on Twitter at Not Detectives. Just below the garage was the Casa Lamar Shopping Center, which was built in 1928 by architect Mark Daniels. At the time, it was used as a farmer's market. But in 1934, Thelma, Roland West, and Jewel Carmen went in together to buy the building and turned it into a cafe. On the ground or main floor was Thelma Todd's Sidewalk Cafe, which was for fans and beachgoers. Then on the second floor was an invitation-only luxurious club called Joya's, Joya being Spanish for jewel. Uh, the third floor was a hexagonally shaped kind of building that had a dance floor and a bandstand, and according to rumors, possibly a secret gambling club. Oh. But we will get into that later. Uh, the building boasted over 12,000 square feet and featured four ocean view penthouse apartments, two of which Thelma and Roland were living in separately, of course. The grand opening happened in August 1934, and it was an instant hit. It became popular for celebrities uh, to the point where Thelma had plates made for all of the celebrity regulars with their initials on it. Oh, that's Which I cute. Think is just very cute. Yeah. Uh, now, before I get to the part that we're all here for, I need to talk about the letters because I'm building the background to which we're going to dig into with the case. Please. So, February 25th, 1935, Hal Roach Studios receive a suspicious letter that was addressed to Thelma. It read, quote, Pay $10,000 to Abe Lyman in New York by March 5th and live. If not, our San Francisco boys will lay you out. The letter also featured a drawing of the card, the Ace of Hearts, because the author fancied calling himself Ace. It should also be noted that Abe Lyman was a man that Thelma briefly dated when she lived in New York. Interesting. The, po the police believed that the letter was just a Hollywood publicity stunt, so they ignored it. But more letters arrived, and even Abe Lyman received one telling him to persuade Thelma to pay up. Then Thelma received a letter asking her to meet Ace in person. Thelma went to a meeting on Hollywood Boulevard with a gun in her purse, but when Ace came up to her and asked her to go somewhere secluded, she freaked out and just walked away, which I think was the right call. Police believe that that particular ace was just a copycat and not the actual letter writer. The letters asked for money ranging from $5,000 to $20,000. Some letters included death threats or ace's plans to kidnap Thelma. One even suggested that ace would, quote, 
wreck that Santa Monica cafe of yours. Then on June 27, 1935, Thelma returned home to find her home had been burgled. Someone had cut a hole in the glass on her front door. They took her fur coats, a tuxedo, a suitcase, and Thelma's entire perfume collection. Photoplay magazine had interviewed Thelma in late 1934 and published photos of her with her prized perfume collection. The article said it was worth hundreds of dollars. In reality, it was worth thousands. Thelma was terrified, as only her mother and a handful of friends and executives knew her home address. Between the letters and the break-in, Thelma lived in constant fear. So she went into lockdown, she only left the house to go to work, and soon... As soon as she was done, she would head home immediately. She canceled all of her usual social engagements. She got a dog. Uh, Then Ace made a mistake and said his name was Mike Dorgan and that he lived at 3118 Newton Avenue in Astoria, New York. So police stalk the apartment, not stalk, staked out. That was what I meant. Uh, They staked out the apartment and they kind of thought that the building's superintendent, Harry Shemansky, was a little sketchy. And two days later, on August 18, 1935, Shemansky was arrested and charged with attempted extortion. On October 30th, Shemansky pleaded not guilty and his trial was set for November. And while p- police were convinced they got their man, even after Shemansky was in jail, the letters continued to arrive. Thelma showed the latest letters to Roland West, who said, Oh, Shemansky's in jail, so these are probably fakes. After Thelma's death, police asked to see those letters. But Roland was unable to find them, claiming, Oh, Thelma must have just destroyed them. Uh Uh-huh. And then I'm just like, Or did you fake those letters yourself, sir? Anyhow. Yeah. So then a man named or one, a man who called himself Richard Harding called a reporter at the Daily Star and said, quote, please put a piece in your paper that Shemansky is innocent. He had nothing to do with the case. I did it to give Thelma Todd publicity. The reporter arranged a meeting with Richard in Times Square, and when Richard approached him, the reporter raised his hand and the feds swarmed in. It turns out that Richard was a 26-year-old drugstore employee named Edward Schiffert who lived in the Newton Avenue building with his parents. When police compared the ace letters to some of Thelma's fan mail, they noticed a similar postmark on a letter from Richard Harding who requested a photo from Thelma to his Newton address. Schiffert admitted that he had been in love with Thelma Todd for the past four years and that he worshipped photos of her every night. He truly believed that he and Thelma were in a romantic relationship. Oh, boy. Yeah. A judge ruled Schiffert to be insane, and he was committed to the Manhattan State Hospital. The charges against Harry Shemansky were then dropped. But by that point, he'd been in jail for, like, months. Oh, God. And they were like, well, oh, Sorry. But now that we have background, let's get into it. Yes. On Saturday, December 14th, 1935, Thelma asked her maid, Mae Whitehead, to call Martha Ford and accept an invitation to a party that was set for the following day. 
Then Thelma and her mother Alice did some Christmas shopping and stopped at the dentist to have a temporary cap placed over a tooth. When they returned to the cafe around 6 p.m., May showed Thelma the shoes that May had specially dyed to match Thelma's dress. Thelma was thrilled. Then Thelma went upstairs to see how plans were coming along for the new cocktail bar at Joya's, then headed to her apartment where she lied on the couch and talked with her mother. That evening, Thelma was headed to an event that was being thrown in her honor by Stan Lapino and his daughter Ida. May helped Thelma change into a sheer blue sparkly evening gown, blue sandals, a long mink coat with a lot of jewelry, and clips in her styled hair. Thelma didn't want to be weighed down with keys, so May put a single key to the side door of the building into a white coin purse and slipped it into Thelma's bag. Thelma then asked Roland if he wanted to attend the party with her. He said he wasn't able to because Saturdays are a busy night for the cafe and they couldn't both be away. Roland walked Thelma and her mother to the waiting, a waiting vehicle, where Roland reminded Thelma, be back by 2 a.m. Again, we've already mentioned that Roland was possessive. Yeah. She, of course, responded with like a, maybe 2.05. And then he's like, 2 a.m. And she's like, how about 2.30? Like she was, he wanted to be possessive and she wasn't having it. Yeah. Uh, Oh, and for clarity, while Thelma and Roland had rekindled their affair in 1935, by this point, they didn't seem to be in a relationship. As Thelma had told friends she was seeing a businessman from San Francisco, we never learn what that man's name was. Okay. Maybe she wasn't really. I don't know. The driver, Ernest Peters, first dropped Thelma off at the Trocadero on Sunset Boulevard then took Alice on a short shopping trip before taking her home. Thelma arrived at 8.25 p.m. and joined a group of approximately 20 people for a cocktail before they moved upstairs to the cream and gold dining room around 10.15 p.m. For dinner, dinner, they were served seafood cocktail, turtle soup, filet mignon, and salad. Thelma declined dessert, but opted to have an after-dinner brandy and a glass of champagne instead. Guests later said that Thelma didn't appear intoxicated in any way. Thelma seemed to be having a glorious time. One guest said, quote, I was struck by her charm. She seemed even more vivacious than when I knew her before. But then the evening hit a sour note when Thelma ran into her ex-husband, Pat DeChico, who just happened to be there with his new girlfriend, 25-year-old actress Margaret Lindsay. According to DeChico, he had bumped into Thelma a few days prior when they were both out shopping, and it had been the first time since their divorce that they had seen each other. And I know what you're thinking. This party was in honor of Thelma, so why the hell was this guy there? Well, it turns out that DeChico ran into Ida Lapino, who was organizing the party and he like jokingly did like a where's my invitation to which Ida went it's a party for your ex-wife and DeChico said oh it's fine him and Thelma we're on speaking terms I don't know if this particular run-in happened before or after he ran into Thelma when they were shopping but they're on speaking terms it's unlikely Yeah. 
So around 1.50 a.m., while Thelma was speaking with theater owner Sid Groman, Thelma was handed a note by a waiter. When later asked by police, no one from the party knew what the note said or who it was from. Ida, who organized the party, said after reading the note, Thelma became furious and was later seen pacing in the ladies' room, muttering something about him. Many have suggested that due to the timing of the note that the sender may have been Roland West, reminding Thelma about his self-imposed curfew. Uh, And I'm sure that's accurate, since shortly after receiving the note, Thelma asked the man she was speaking to to call Roland and say she would be leaving shortly. Roland was in the cocktail lounge at the cafe at the time of the call. When Thelma was on her way out, she stopped to speak with Stanley Lapino, Ida's father. They ended up talking until 3 a.m. Thelma very bluntly said she was tired and just wanted to leave. Which... All parties should just end that way. Oh, I agree. Uh, Ernest Peters picked Thelma up and dropped her off at the sidewalk cafe at 3.45 a.m. He said, quote, she told me I needn't escort her up to the apartment above, which, according to Ernest, was unusual. He said he had driven Thelma five times in the past year and that she had always asked him to walk her to the door. But this time, he says she was adamant that she was going to go alone. Some have suggested that maybe Thelma was trying to avoid Ernest from seeing a fit that Roland would likely throw when she showed up at the apartment late. Right. Ernest said, quote, there is an incline that goes up to the right opposite my car where I let her out. Then she had to turn around and revert right back on an incline. And when I left her, she had just turned the corner and her back was towards me. Then I drove away. Ernest also noted that he saw no lights on in the building. Thelma was found dead 30 hours later. Interesting. Well, the plot thickens and we're only partway through. Um, Listen, I am intrigued, as I'm sure all of you are, dear listeners. So let's grab some more drinks Hit the can, and we're going to be right back with more on the Thelma Todd episode of this episode, oh boy, of True Crime and Cocktails. Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset, hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crow portrays an ex-homicide detective, unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. (laughs) 
Welcome back to this episode of True Crime and Cocktails. We're, of course, discussing the Thelma Todd case. Before the break, I was bungling my words, but mostly because I'm entranced by this case. Christy, what's next? You're adorable. That's what's next. And look, I... I bungled my way through the majority of that Marsha Clark episode, oh, so... you were a dream. You're allowed to bungle as often as you'd like. There you go. So, Thelma's maid, May Whitehead, arrived at the garage around 10.30 a.m. on Monday, December 16th. The garage was located at 17531 Positano Road and was owned by Roland West and his estranged wife, Jewel Carmen. The garage doors were unlocked, because they always were. Thelma's 1932 Lincoln Phaeton was parked on the right, as the left was always reserved for Roland's car. May opened the passenger door to put some items in the car when she noticed Thelma in the driver's seat. May said, quote, she was slumped in the front seat of her car, just bent over, her head to the left. May went around to the driver's side and noticed that the driver's door was open. Thelma's, Thelma was wearing the same blue dress and mink coat that she was last seen wearing on December 14th. At first, May thought that Thelma was just sleeping, but she noticed blood around Thelma's nose and mouth. She knew something was terribly wrong, so May ran to the cafe to tell Roland. Roland, in turn, then phoned the police. Captain Bruce F. Clark was the first officer on the scene. He noted there was no sign of a struggle, no tearing of Thelma's clothes, and no weapon found. She was quickly pronounced dead. Thelma Todd was just 29 years old. She was described as wisecracking, flamboyant, passionate, and beautiful. She had a strong sense of character and an outrageous sense of humor. Now, at some point early on, I believe the police were there, Roland went into the garage and physically got into the car to look around. He said the ignition switch was in the on position, and then he used his own handkerchief to wipe blood from Thelma's mouth. Oh my god. Based on her positioning, Roland believes that Thelma was trying to get out of the car when she died. And I know that she was your friend, Roland, but nothing screams suspicious like quickly violating a potential crime scene. Because immediately I'm thinking, was the ignition in the on position or did Roland put it in the on position when he got in the car? Yep. Was Thelma's car fingerprinted? These are things I don't know. An autopsy was performed by Dr. Wagner on December 17th at 3.45 p.m. Now, many places online have made wild claims about the state of the body. I have seen things like there was damage to the throat, cracked ribs, a broken nose, bruises around the throat. But according to the autopsy report, quote, there were no marks of violence anywhere upon or within the body. The coroner did note a small discoloration on Thelma's lower lip, stating, quote, inside the lip and beneath there was no bruise at all. It must have been due to the lip coming into contact with a hard object. So he theorizes that Thelma likely passed out and fell forward, hitting her face 
on the steering wheel, which caused the discoloration, the small amount of blood, and apparently it dislodged the cap that she had just had put on at the dentist the night before. Thelma's blood alcohol level was 0.13, although the coroner believes it could have been higher as the body likely eliminated some between the the party and her death. The stomach was half full. It apparently takes like six or seven hours to empty, but that time frame can change based on numerous factors like alcohol ingestion or even your excitement level. Um, However, curious thing of note, there were beans and peas in her stomach, which had only just started to digest, but they weren't served at the dinner. And since they had only just started to digest, that means she had them, like, pretty soon before her death. But where did she get them, is the big question. Uh, There was also 75 to 80% carbon monoxide saturation in Thelma's blood, and her death was estimated to be between 6 and 8 a.m. on December 15th, so approximately two to four hours after she was last seen. In the end, the coroner's report stated, quote, the decedent died by asphyxiation, perhaps intentionally, the cause of death, carbon monoxide poisoning. Police Chief James E. Davis read the report and immediately made a quick public announcement, quote, Miss Todd committed suicide, the case is closed. A coroner's inquest took place, and they determined that Thelma's death was accidental. So as we do on this show, we like to leave no stone unturned. So we're going to look at the possible theories as to what really happened to Thelma Todd. Yes. Now, there are five manners of death. One of them is undetermined. So we're going to skip that because it would be probably boring for us to spend a chunk of time being like, I don't know. (laughs) Undetermined. Right. So we're going to skip that and focus on the other four. Manner number one is natural. Thelma was 29, so natural does not seem like a likely option. The coroner noted that Thelma's vital organs were perfectly normal, and Dr. Edwin Lawrence, uh, who is Thelma's personal physician, who examined Thelma just 10 days before her death, said she was in perfect health. So again, I don't think natural is a likely scenario here. Manner number two, accident. Police have suggested that Thelma arrived at the cafe, but found herself to be locked out. So she went to the garage to get a reprieve from the weather, as it was described as, quote, howling winds. Once there, Thelma got into the car and turned it on for some heat. She either fell asleep or passed out and asphyxiated on the carbon monoxide. Now, carbon monoxide poisoning was a widespread problem as it had become more commonplace to own a vehicle at that time. Allegedly, around this time, there was a large media campaign warning people about leaving a car running in a closed garage. But this theory means that Thelma had to walk from the cafe to the garage, which, including 271 stairs, is 0.3 miles or 400 meters away. According to Google Maps, that walk would take her maybe six minutes. 
And the thing about Thelma is she fucking hated walking. It was said that if her car was at the cafe, she would just have one of the employees drive her car to the garage so she could save herself the walk back down. Because remember, her apartment was in the same building as the cafe, which was along the Pacific Coast Highway, while the garage was up the hill. And I know I said I'm going to post a map on our socials, and I will. But for those who are viewing this in this moment, very quickly, and mostly for my gorgeous co-host over there, please, just to give you an idea. So the cafe is this highlighted area down here. It's technically this building. So in this highlighted area at the bottom, she was likely dropped off. She would have to like walk all the way over here under the bridge, up a set of stairs, all the way over and up to get to the garage or go all the, like all the way, way back over that way. So it was a trek yeah. uphill. And if it was intense winds, like they're saying, my big issue, let's say she did walk and there was the winds. How was Thelma's hair immaculate and still in exactly the place it was, clips and all, exactly how it was styled at the party? And her shoes and clothing were clean. Was it possible that Thelma walked for several minutes in crazy winds and yet her outfit remained pristine and not a single hair was out of place? And the soles of her shoes were scuffed, but it seemed more consistent with like a night dancing at a party as opposed to a trip up hundreds of stairs. Allegedly, a policewoman made a trip up the stairs in high heels, and her shoes were significantly more scuffed than Thelma's were. Interesting. But also, when Thelma's body was discovered, the engine of the car wasn't running, but there was still fuel in the tank. So why did the car stop running? Was Roland's car in the garage? Is it possible that Thelma did make the trip to the garage and decided to sleep in her car? She passed out. Roland started his own vehicle and left it running. And then maybe he t got in the car, turned on her ignition switch before the police could see. I don't know. I don't know why it would matter what car he used. I just figure if he gets in the car while she's passed out, she might wake up. If he, like, leans over her. I don't know. I don't trust Roland is the point, and I will bitch about him a little later. But yeah. my point is, he is sketchy at best. So, manner number three is suicide. Again, no stone unturned. Former co-star Zasu Pitts said that she saw Thelma on December 11th and said Thelma had never been so happy in her life. Thelma had apparently been seeing some businessman from San Francisco. Uh, one person from the party said, quote, there was nothing in her manner to indicate that anything was worrying her. But she was an actress, so perhaps she was putting on airs that she was happy and hiding that she was not. We know she was planning a huge gala for New Year's Eve to show off work that she had apparently done to the cafe over the past few months. And while Thelma seemed happy and was making future plans... We say it all the time. At the end of the day, we don't know what she was going through mentally. So I assume it was likely not suicide, but no one can 100% rule that out because 
We don't know we weren't there. Yes. But if it was, again, I'm going to come back and harp on this. Her hair would have been a mess if she had been walking around in wind. I just personally don't believe that Thelma walked to that garage on her own. No. But we'll see. I guess that also brings us to manner number four, homicide. Now, while the body showed no exterior signs of violence or any defensive wounds, it is possible that Thelma was murdered. Maybe someone caught up to her and maybe used chloroform to make her unconscious and then placed her in a running vehicle. I assume a substance like chloroform would show up on an autopsy, but maybe the coroner purposely hid his true findings because I trust no one, or maybe he simply didn't run every type of necessary test. But if Thelma was murdered, then who are the suspects? Well, suspect number one goes without saying, it's it's possible the killer could be someone unknown to the police and someone unknown to Thelma. The day after Thelma's funeral, her mother Alice received a letter that had been forwarded unopened by the staff at the Sidewalk Cafe. The letter read, quote, Now, Miss Todd, we will give you one week to contact us in the Times in the personal column, or you will go next. We got her because she double-crossed us, and we will get you too. Call me Ace and give me your telephone number. No funny work. No cops. Signed, Ace. Did this mystery writer really have something to do with Thelma's death? Or was it just a prank? Or was it written by a suspect who was trying to take the suspicion off himself? Is more where I'm leaning. But I know I shouldn't laugh at a letter like this. But how dumb of a bad guy do you have to be to send someone a threatening letter, ordering them to give you their phone number so they can threaten you more directly? You know what I mean? Like, they didn't ask her for money. They asked her, give us your phone number. Yeah, and what are they going to do with that? Like, ooh, now we can reach you in another way. Like, what? And then the joke is, she gives the number, they call, and they're like, we've been trying to reach you about your car's extended warrant. (laughs) The point is, it's just such a, what a random note, right? Like, you're threatening that that she'll be next, but it's like, unless she gives you her phone number? Like, it was just such a weird, like, it just threw me... As like a, this is what someone thinks a threatening note is, but this isn't someone who sends threatening notes, which is why I think it's someone who actually knows what really happened. But that's a whole other story. Yeah. Anyhow. So we know that Thelma's potential murder was not motivated by robbery. She was found wearing $20,000 worth of jewelry, which included two custom brooches, a diamond watch, numerous rings, including her wedding band set, which she continued to wear, even though she was divorced. Thelma's purse was also found at the scene, open on the front seat. Beside her, no signs of interference. It contained a cigarette case, four handkerchiefs, lipstick, and a coin purse that contained the key to the side door. Also, there was undisturbed dust in the back seat of Thelma's car, so it's safe to assume that no one was waiting in her back seat like some sort of horror movie. Yeah. But it's no fun to look at suspects we don't know and have a name for. 
So let's look at the people that I could see as suspects. Yes. Suspect number two, because number one is just unknown, I suppose. Some believe that Alice Todd, Thelma's own mother, was responsible, saying that she was using Thelma for money. At the time, Alice was already being financially cared for by her daughter. And yes, I know some people can get greedy and that nothing is ever enough for those people, but I just don't buy that Alice would kill Thelma or have her killed for money. Is it possible that Alice had grown accustomed to a certain lifestyle? Sure. But remember, she lived through the tragic deaths of her son and her husband. Would she really kill, like, her last, the last person of her immediate family? I just don't believe it. Yeah. I, I really, really don't. Uh, Alice Todd died December 18th, 1969, at the age of 93. Because, yes, as you'll find when I went through this, instead of doing, like, a recap at the end of where are they now, I've chosen to sneak it into these sections for reasons even I don't know. I like that. It's like ending a chapter. Oh, God. My frosty mug is leaking everywhere. Oh, no. What a mess. It's fine. This is what our lives are like. So, suspect number three. Roland West's estranged wife, Jewel Carmen. Now, Jewel was in 41 films and shorts, but her last one was the 1926 thriller The Bat, which was directed by her husband. They married in 1918, and maybe Jewel loved him, or maybe she thought that marrying him would boost her career. But it seems as though the marriage just tanked her career. Roland asked for a divorce, but Jewel dragged it out for years because she refused to take the small settlement that he had offered her. They officially divorced in 1938, and Jewel later died in 1984. Oh, wow. But what would Jewel have against Thelma? Well, it was no secret that Thelma and Roland were having an affair when they met in 1931. And Thelma was nine years younger than Jewel. And jealousy can be a dangerous thing. Imagine that you're an actress, and the business is super competitive, and you're struggling to find work... And a young, beautiful woman appears seemingly out of nowhere and starts getting booked for all these gigs. And then she starts sleeping with your husband. I don't know about you, but I'd be super pissed if nothing else. Then there's the fact that Jewel made some bizarre comments to the police on December 17th, the day of the autopsy. Jewel claimed that during the filming of Corsair, Thelma told Jewel that she had a heart condition and that doctors had only given her five or six years to live. And that Thelma said, quote, I might as well have fun while I can. And while Thelma's mother thought at first that it might have been a heart problem since her husband died young from a heart attack, we know from the autopsy that there was no chronic illness found and all Thelma's organs, including her heart, were perfectly normal. And Thelma's doctor confirmed there was no indication of heart disease, and she was healthy just 10 days before her death. So did Jewel make the whole heart condition thing up in the hopes police would just take her word for it and not investigate? 
I mean, it's possible that Thelma did tell Jewel that just to mess with her, or maybe she truly believed it, or maybe she wanted Jewel to feel sorry for her as opposed to being pissed that Thelma was sleeping with her husband. Jewel also claimed that she saw Thelma on Sunday, the morning after the party, driving on Sunset Boulevard with a, quote, swarthy man. We know, of course, that Thelma's estimated time of death was between 6 and 8 a.m., so there's no way that Jewel saw her driving anywhere. But it's possible maybe Jewel was simply mistaken. But it's also possible maybe Jewel was lying to try and cover for Roland in some way. Because if Roland went to jail, Jewel wouldn't get the big divorce settlement she was holding out for. Ah. Also, to be clear, when I say they were having an affair while he was married to Jewel, I think their marriage was barely anything. Because they had been separated for a very long time. And still, I think it was more the jealousy about work than anything else. But still. So while we're on the subject of Roland... We're going to go to suspect number four, Roland West. Roland said on the night of December 14th, he received a phone call from Sid Groman around 2 a.m. relaying the message that Thelma would be leaving shortly. He was the gentleman, of course, that Thelma was speaking to when she received the note from the waiter. Roland claimed that soon after the call, he took Thelma's dog for a walk. Yep, 2 a.m., And when he returned, he entered through the side door and bolted it from the inside. He said he wasn't aware that Thelma planned to use the side door after the party. So was Roland aware that the only key that Thelma had on her that night was for the side door? Did he bolt any other door that night or just the door that Thelma was intending to use? Roland claimed that Thelma never used the side door on Saturday nights and that it was always bolted when May left for the night. But we know that May specifically gave Thelma the key. So did Roland not know the plan? Or did he know and purposely chose to bolt the door anyway? Roland said he took Thelma's dog to his room and fell asleep before 3 a.m. Around 3.30, Roland said he heard the dog whining and assumed that meant that Thelma had returned. Now, was it normal for Roland to take the dog in his room? If not, why did he do it that night? It's almost as sketchy as interfering with a crime scene by climbing into a car and touching the body. Yeah. So while on the topic of how sketchy Roland is, I need to bring in a new character in a very quick Another suspicious middle-aged white man's side note. Please. Joseph Schenk emigrated from Russia to New York, where he and his brother Nicholas became concessionaries at Fort George Amusement Park. They saved up their profits to build Paradise Park, which became so popular that disgruntled people in the neighborhood burned it down in 1913 because they were tired of the constant crowds. Wow. They also owned the popular Palisades Amusement Park in New Jersey. One of the park's regular customers was theater magnate Marcus Lowe, and eventually the brothers became associates of Lowe's Inc. Oh, wow. In 1916, Schenck married silent movie star Norma Talmadge after a whirlwind romance. 
To help further his new wife's career, Schenck formed Norma Talmadge Film Corporation, which ended up making Norma one of the biggest silent film stars of all time. By 1922, they relocated to Hollywood, where Schenck became president of United Artists. The couple then divorced in 1933, and Schenck partnered with Daryl Zanuck to form 20th Century, which, of course, later combined with Fox Films to make 20th Century Fox. So basically, Schenck is this multimillionaire who becomes friends with many powerful people in Hollywood, including Roland West. And it turns out that Schenck was a complete tax cheat. He ended up being indicted for tax fraud, including unreported income, stock sale fraud, and, quote, outlandish business deductions. Schenck also ran a lucrative gambling business, which included a racetrack at Agua Caliente. During Schenck's trial uh, for tax fraud, Roland testified that Schenck sold him $400,000 worth of racetrack stock for 50 grand. What? But first, and this is where it gets complicated, 20th Century Fox loaned Roland $50,000. So Roland gave Schenck a check for $50,000. And then Schenck reimbursed Roland under the table to repay the loan. And I know it's confusing, but basically, Schenck's company pretended to give Roland money. Roland supposedly gave money, but then was reimbursed for the full amount. Roland was then also given a second payment, which was allegedly to reimburse him for another fake loan. But that payment was specifically given on December 17, 1935, the day after Thelma's body was found. Was this payment some sort of hush money? Was it, like, the timing of the payment, is it just a coincidence? There were rumors going around about a possible gambling club being opened at the Sidewalk Cafe, so is it possible that Shank, who was already in the gambling business, tried to convince Thelma to put his new gambling club in her cafe, because it was frequented by so many celebrities. Did Schenck ask and then take it badly when Thelma turned him down? At the time in California, the only gambling that was legal was poker, player versus player card games, and horse race betting. Games of chance and nickel slot machines were illegal, but lucrative in underground circles, especially with the rich and powerful, So I think it's definitely possible that someone wanted to put some sort of gambling at the cafe, especially since it had the space and the celebrities were drawn to it anyway. Yeah. Someone once said of Thelma, quote, the sidewalk cafe meant a great deal to her. It was the first thing she owned by herself. The only thing that ever gave her a sense of freedom. The restaurant meant a lot to her, and she was not going to allow it to be tainted with a gambling operation. So if anyone approached Thelma with the idea, she would have turned them down, and maybe someone wouldn't like taking no for an answer. I'm also convinced Roland absolutely would have agreed to do any sort of gambling, legal or not. But since he was only part owner, he would have needed Thelma's blessing to proceed, unless something were to happen to Thelma, to get her out of the way. Right. 
So did Roland get Thelma out of the way so that gambling could proceed? In mid-December, shortly before her death, Thelma was attacked by a man that she knew late at night at the cafe. Most people had gone home, and Thelma and this mystery man got into an argument that escalated, and the man either punched or slapped her in the face, and she went flying across the table. The man allegedly landed more blows before a waiter intervened. Police have never publicly identified who that attacker was, but after Thelma's death a week later, they said that the man was, quote, a central figure in the current investigation. Many believe that man was Roland, especially when he denies any knowledge that the incident happened at all. First of all, dude, you claim to be like her BFF. And if you were her BFF and that close, she would have told you if she was attacked. Also, even if you weren't that close, you're the co-owner of the cafe where the attack happened. She would have told you about it. Yeah. So to be like, oh, I don't know what you're talking about. Again, suspicious behavior. So were they arguing about whether or not to allow the gambling club and Roland, who would do pretty much anything for money, got angry when Thelma refused? And was Shank the one who potentially pushed for the gambling club? Or was it the mob? Okay. Because you know I'm always convinced the mob's in everything. Yeah. Well, in a way, they are. Oh, well, I wouldn't doubt it. <sighs> so during the investigation, we will get into the mob in a second, I think, God willing. Uh, during the investigation, police believed that Roland was somehow involved in Thelma's death, either by actively participating in it or by withholding information from the investigators. Investigators were also convinced that when Thelma returned to the cafe, that she was met by Roland and various members of the mob who wanted to put a secret gambling room in Thelma's cafe. And it makes sense. Roland did insist that Thelma be back by a very specific time that night, and Thelma seemed pretty hell-bent on being late. So maybe she knew there was going to be a meeting and she was trying to avoid it. That would also explain why Thelma refused to let her driver walk her to her door. She didn't want him right. to see what was going on, right? And yes, I keep going on about this gambling club, but we have no proof that it was ever even an idea. But an investigator for the district attorney's office released a statement saying he was aware that a gambling establishment was opening at the sidewalk cafe soon, maybe as early as New Year's Eve. During the grand jury's inquest, the jury toured the tower room, which is on the third floor of the cafe, but weirdly enough, it was under construction and there was just tools and carpentry supplies just scattered all over the place, which looks like an easy way to cover up an illegal gambling room that you put in after the death of the building's co-owner, maybe? Yeah. Allegedly, the day after Thelma's body was found, police went to producer Hal Roach and said that Roland had confessed to being involved. Why would they go to Roach? Well, apparently the cops wanted to know how to handle the situation. 
And Roach, for whatever reason, basically told them to just sweep it under the rug. What? And while I understand Roach wanted to avoid another Hollywood scandal, there were numerous over the years in and around that time frame, I'm skeptical that Roach would try and protect Roland when Thelma was a moneymaker for Roach, and Roland was essentially competition. So did this confession actually happen? And if so, did the police actually cover it up because a big Hollywood producer told them to? After officers allegedly spoke with Hal Roach, the police chief did publicly announce that Thelma's death was a suicide. So maybe that is accurate, uh, especially since corruption was running rampant in the police department at the time. Right. But despite being sketchy as hell and potentially outright confessing to the crime, Roland was never officially accused of Thelma's murder, but he received so much bad publicity for his potential involvement that it ruined his career and his reputation. Roland continued to run the Sidewalk Cafe, but he officially changed the name in honor of his BFF to Thelma Todd's Inn. Just four days after Thelma's body was discovered, Roland placed ads around town saying the cafe would continue, quote, as Miss Todd would have liked. Mm. Again, this dude would do anything for money. His marriage to Jewel Carmen dragged on, with Jewel refusing to agree to a divorce unless she got a significant payout. They finally settled in November 1940 after Roland agreed to pay her $50,000 which translates to just over $1 million in 2022. Wow. In 1946, 61-year-old Roland married 40-year-old actress Lola Lane and renamed the Thelma Todd Inn Café Shea Roland. So much to for that lovely tribute to your best friend, man. Yeah. Didn't even... Uh, didn't even make it a full decade, you know? Nope. Uh, soon after, Roland and his wife moved to Florida, where he suffered a stroke and a nervous breakdown. By 1951, his health had deteriorated so much that he had to put the cafe up for sale. The price started at 250000 quickly dropped to 100000 but just months later, before it officially sold, Roland died on March 31st, 1952, at the age of 67. Roland's funeral was about 15 minutes long and was only attended by a handful of people, not including his ex-wife, Jewel. Interesting. Roland's wife, Lola Lane, passed away in June 1981, and Jewel Carmen passed away from lymphoma, lymphoma in March 1984 at the age of 86. Now, according to IMDb, a.k.a. The Internet Movie Database. Thank you. Roland allegedly made a deathbed confession to actor Chester Morris saying that he was to blame for Thelma's death. Chester later took his own life in 1972, but prior to that, he had relayed this story to a friend. So I don't know how accurate it is because now it's coming from someone from someone else. Right. But allegedly, according to Roland, 
Thelma returned around 4 a.m., and when she found the door was locked, she started banging on it and yelling at Roland. Roland told Thelma he didn't like her going to so many parties. Thelma said she'd go to as many as she pleased, and in fact, she agreed to attend a party the next day, and you know what? She's going to head there now, which is absolutely something that if I was tipsy uh, and in an argument, I'm stubborn enough. That would be my absolute move. Totally. So Roland then claims that Thelma went to the garage, and by the time he made it there, Thelma was in her car getting ready to leave. Roland said he shut and locked the garage door, trying to teach Thelma a lesson, then headed back to his apartment and went to sleep. The next morning, Roland allegedly returned to the garage and found Thelma dead. Throughout the day, people would ask where she was, and Roland said he didn't know. But if he didn't honestly know, he likely would have gone looking for her. So is that mean that he's being honest now? So is it that simple that Roland West actually locked Thelma in the garage during an argument? And that's how she ended up dying. It sounds plausible, especially knowing that their relationship was volatile at best. Yeah. Somewhat fun fact, I suppose, the third season of True Detective features a character named Roland West, which is believed to be a nod to the director. Interesting. Hmm. Yeah. Uh, And since I've just talked about a potential confession, it may seem as though we're out of suspects, but I'm not done just yet. Keeping with the idea, back to the mob. Maybe the mob were involved in Thelma's death. But what if, instead of Roland forgetting this potential confession, what if the real culprit was someone with mob connections, but not Roland? As opposed to Roland, who I'm convinced was just an easy mark to be pushed around and willing to, willingly did anything for any money they would have showed his way. But who else did Thelma know who had links to the mob? Oh, yeah, her piece of shit ex-husband, which brings us to suspect number five, Pat DeChico. DeChico was a physically abusive man. Many of his past partners have admitted to as much. So it wouldn't be a huge leap to suggest that he wanted his ex-wife dead. After all, forcing your way into a party that was celebrating her is bad. But bringing a date who was actually friends with your ex-wife is outright shitty. Yeah. And honestly, DeChico was a shitty man. How do I know that? Well, how about a future DeChico wives side note? Okay, here we go. After his divorce from Thelma in 1934, DeChico went on to marry two more times. I'm going to get into the third marriage first, and you'll understand why in a moment. On December 12, 1952, 43-year-old DeChico married 24-year-old actress Mary Jo Tarola, who went by the stage name Linda Douglas. After their marriage, Mary Jo's promising career ended abruptly. I'm not saying that DeChico was to blame for that, but I wouldn't be surprised if he was. They divorced in July 1960. But DeChico's second marriage is what I really want to get into. 
between Thelma and Mary Jo, DeChico married heiress Gloria Vanderbilt on December 28, 1941. Grossly, at the time, DeChico was 32, Gloria was 17. No. Yet again, on this show, somehow, every episode this season. Yeah. If you want to marry someone 15 years younger than you, mazel tov. But when that person is a teenager, walk the fuck away. And before you try and go there, no, you do not have a deep connection with them. And no, they are not an old soul. No. You are just a fucking creep who is trying to justify your actions. Leave teenagers alone. Okay. Yeah. Agreed. I hope that's I hope that's it for the season. <laughs> yeah. I, it's just somehow it keeps coming up and I don't know why. God. Anyhow, so Gloria later stated that Tachiko was physically and mentally abusive towards her throughout their marriage, including calling her affectionate pet names like Fatsy Roo. Oh, my God. And even if she was chubby, that's still uncalled for. But she was tiny. Anyhow, he gave her black eyes. He banged her head into walls. They divorced in April 1945. And the very day after it was finalized, 21-year-old Gloria married 63-year-old Leopold Stokowski on April 21st, 1945. I questioned the 42-year-old age difference, but I'm not judging it because Gloria was legally an adult, and I'm currently turning a blind eye to the thought of how long were they together yeah. before they got married. Yeah. But Leopold was a British conductor who appeared in the Disney film Fantasia. Oh. Gloria and Leopold had two sons together, Leopold in August 1950 and Christopher in January 1952. The couple divorced October 1955. Then in August 1956, 32-year-old Gloria married 32-year-old American director Sidney Lummet. Does that sound right? Lummet? Lamay? Mm-hmm. I think yeah. so. I probably should look that up better. Uh, he is best known for 12 Angry Men, Network, and Serpico. They divorced in August 1963. But on Christmas Eve that same year... Gloria married for the fourth and final time to an author named Wyatt Cooper. Similar to her second marriage, the couple also had two sons, including Carter in January 1965 and future CNN hottie Anderson Cooper in June 1967. There it is. Now, tragically, Wyatt died after complications from open heart surgery in January 1978 at the age of 50. And Carter took his own life in September 1988 at the age of 23. Mm. It is rumored that Gloria had relationships with the likes of Frank Sinatra, Marlon Brando, Howard Hughes, and Roald Dahl. Which, the three, I was like, okay. And then Roald Dahl, I was like, okay. However, after Wyatt, she never remarried. In the 1970s, Gloria got into fashion, releasing her own line. She had perfume, home goods, all that kind of thing. And it is said that Gloria was an early developer of designer blue jeans. Come on. And look, I am so purely fascinated by Gloria Vanderbilt at this point. 
I could just continue the rest of this episode talking about her. But that is not what we're here for. No. But that is proof. God. I'd love a pop culture podcast that would just be <laughs> us digging into various people throughout history. Of course. That, uh, But again, I love that I'm like... I would love another podcast where we do just as much work as we do on this one. <laughs> Stop it. Stop it. So, we were talking about DeChico and what an abusive asshole he was. But why would he want Thelma dead? Well, it's possible that maybe he tried to get back with her. Maybe he went to that dinner and took a younger woman in the hopes of making her jealous that that would drive her towards him. And maybe Thelma refused. Men like DeChico don't take rejection well, but it's also possible that DeChico was involved because he was allegedly working for the mob, or more specifically, Charles Lucky Luciano. Allegedly, DeChico was working as a Hollywood agent, and the depression hit, movie studios had to cut wages, but this caused a massive blowback from employees who started organizing strikes. The big studios allegedly used mob muscle to break up the strikes. But when the strikes stopped, the mob just refused to leave. Ah, interesting. And, and that 100% checks once it's they're like vampires once you let them in you can't get them out no sorry it's like vampires or fox thank you very <laughs> you much have, they have to be invited in yep and then they just will never leave so many people believe that Tachico was one of luciano's men in hollywood luciano was based out of new york some have claimed that Thelma had a brief relationship with Luciano in 1934 and that she was the one who introduced him with her ex-husband. I could not find any photographic proof that Thelma and Luciano were ever in the same place, but that doesn't mean that they never met. The rumor goes that Luciano wanted to lease the top floor of Thelma's cafe for, you guessed it, a gambling club. Thelma allegedly said no, and as most mob types, Luciano did not take it as an answer. There are claims they had a private meeting around Thanksgiving 1935, where he pressured her again about leasing the space. She said no. So they had another meeting in mid-December, shortly before her death. There have also been claims that Thelma threatened to go public with evidence she had about his shady dealings, but of course... There is no solid proof of that or that she had any evidence on the mobster. Right. At, at the time of Thelma's death, Luciano was in an Arkansas jail, so he couldn't have physically done it himself. But he's the boss. He doesn't have to get his hands dirty. He could have easily called in the hit. Did he have one of his goons take care of things? Or did he ask DeChico to do it because he knew that DeChico could get close to her? without spooking her, unlike a stranger, for example. And while it's more than possible that DeChico wasn't involved in any of this, I am immediately suspicious of him because the day 
that Thelma's body was found. DeChico called his lawyer to ask if it was okay if he left the state. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Then there's the fact that Margaret Lindsay, who was DeChico's date that night at the party, was so distraught over Thelma's death that she had to bow out of a movie she was filming at the time. Huh. The movie was Murder by an Aristocrat, and she was replaced by Marguerite Churchill. Was Margaret upset because she was so close with Thelma? Well, if Margaret was dating Thelma's shitty ex-husband, the two couldn't have been that close. Although Margaret and DeChico dated for less than a month. But Margaret testified at the grand jury inquiry into Thelma's death, And after that, Margaret had a nervous breakdown. Which makes me wonder, did Margaret know something about Thelma's death and she felt guilty for not coming forward? Or maybe Margaret assumed that DeChica was involved, but she had no proof, so she didn't bother coming forward. It's also possible that Margaret knew nothing about the crime and simply felt guilty about dating Thelma's ex because the women were friends as well as colleagues. Right. Margaret never married, but she did have a several decades long relationship with actress Mary McCarty, who died in April 1980 at the age of 56. Margaret died from emphysema in 1981 at the age of 70. As for the men in this part of our story, in June 1936, Luciano and eight of his goons were arrested and convicted on 62 counts of extortion and running a prostitution ring. Oh. Luciano was sentenced to 30 to 50 years. But after Luciano helped the United States Navy during World War II, he was granted an early release in January 1946 and then deported to Italy. Soon after, he set up operations in Havana, Cuba, until the Cuban government sent him back to Italy in 1947. Luciano suffered a fatal heart attack at the Naples airport in January 1962 at the age of 66. As for DeChico, that bastard had multiple run-ins with the police over the years. He was arrested in November 1936 for a traffic violation, again in February 1937, for punching a random guy at a Hollywood club. And again in 19, or sorry, in July 1937, for refusing to pay the money he owed a country club. And probably one of my favorite things I'll ever read, because this can't be real, while living at the Drake Hotel in March 1942. DeChico was accused of punching an employee who refused to give DeChico a pot to make spaghetti. He was arrested, but later acquitted. That's wild. DeChico died from cancer in October 1978 at the age of 69. To be clear, the violence was not the part of that statement I liked. I have never once heard someone ask a hotel employee for a pot so they could make their own spaghetti and when they're denied they're just they flip out so enraged yeah 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 well over the span of her decade-long career Thelma Todd was credited in 119 movies including 63 shorts 
She was a smart, independent woman who was taking the cafe world and Hollywood by storm when she was struck down far too soon. It's just so sad to see a waste of talent and potential, especially for a woman who just wanted to find a man who would love and respect her. Sadly, based on her exes, I don't think Thelma ever found what she was looking for. Reporting for True Crime and Cocktails, this has been chaos. And my favorite kind of chaos. Uh, Well, listen, let's take one more chaotic break, one more chaotic drink, one more chaotic trip to the can, and we'll be back to wrap up the most chaotic episode of True Crime and Cocktails, the Thelma Todd episode, when we come back. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Welcome back to the Thelma Todd episode of True Crime and Cocktails. Oh my gosh, so many things. I mean, what a, it it is always interesting to me too, and we hear this all the time, obviously on this show, but when it's just like straight up, oh, it's a suicide by, it's so rarely that. Um, Okay, let's take a look. I mean, right from the beginning also, like the idea that you could fire someone for being too beautiful, that she was a distraction, it's just like, come on. I know. That is so gross. Um, I think it's really interesting, too, that her dad died on her birthday. Her brother died at age seven. She died at 29. Like, it is a lot of death for one family. Yeah. It's a lot of tragedy, which feels odd. Um yeah, I don't know. I have no further point of that other than just it feels odd. Sure. Uh, I will say also, I love the idea. It's like she needed to be washed of the taint of comedy. And I, as somebody who has made her career out of working in comedy, I just want to say, um, yeah, I guess maybe we are tainted by comedy. And you know what the taint is? Sure. The laughs and the accolades. How dare you, sir? How dare Thank you. you. Thank you for your usage of accolades. You're very welcome. And hey, look, I get it that once you're kind, like usually, technically speaking, actors and actresses tend to be kind of more known for one genre. And I know that it's like branching out to another can be difficult. Like when Jim Carrey tried to be serious, we didn't know how to handle it. Yeah. (laughs) And look, hey, Truman Show, what a beautiful thing. But, um, I know he's been serious elsewhere, but that's not my point. My point is, I get that it can be difficult, but I just found it wild that she was 
like riding the the rails of this decent career. Yeah. At that point, she was doing very well for herself. And his first thought was, we should change her name. I'm like, what a nightmare. So that would have been for me as a moviegoer at a time oh, yeah. when there was no IMDb where you're like, oh, that's Thelma Todd. Yeah, so like, well, she's exactly like her. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, well, no, it says it's Allison Lloyd. And it's like, well, that's not right. Like that. Yeah. That would have driven me nuts. Yeah. I just love how wrong he was as well. Very wrong. He yeah. was very wrong. He was. What a dick. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> this car accident. Uh, with yeah. the Chico, uh, yeah. or whatever. I, yeah, it feels very evident that, that it, I mean, it seems to me like that was covering up perhaps some domestic violence there, which is tragic and awful. Um, the, the letters are also very creepy, regardless of where they came from or what their intention was. It just feels like such a violation, you know? Yes. And and it and it worked. I mean, they got to her, obviously, whether it was connected to her actual death or not. Um, I did also write down she went to this event and she drank her dessert just like I do. That's a, that's a move I will pull often, which it's like, do you want some dessert? Mm-hmm. And I'm like, I would like one last glass of wine. That's my dessert. <laughs> I get that. Um, See, the sweet know. tooth in this family came over here. It did. Yeah, I don't really have a sweet tooth. So Whereas I'm like, like, I'll have eight desserts. Yeah. And yeah, I get that. Yeah, I get I'm like, that. Give me another plate of fries or one more glass of Ooh. wine. Oh, but then um, once now, you get into the fries, then I'm going to have to get into the fries, and then then it's the salty sweet back and forth balancing oh. it out. And then we're just in a we're in a never ending cycle. Yeah. Um. So here's something that I thought was interesting: the beans and peas in her stomach that yeah. we know she must have eaten after this event. Yes, and we know she drank her dessert. Um. My, what I wrote down in all caps, what was on the menu at, at the restaurant that she owned, at the cafe she owned? Right. Because it feels like, to me, what it feels like happened was she came and she went to the cafe and she ate there. That feels plausible, right? Oh, I immediately, reading that, thought back to myself early 20s coming home from the bar and you're not sober at all and you rummage and you try and find something to snack on something that'll take as little work as possible to cook heat it up whatever that you're gonna stick in your face because you're hungry who's to say she didn't go around that kitchen and was like well this is an odd thing to eat just beans and peas but away we go the yeah. easiest thing she could find. And it feels too like that's not something that she would do. Or, or sorry, excuse me. It's not that she was going around her own kitchen because she was still in her coat and everything. Like it feels like yep. she went into the cafe, sat yep. and had a bite, ch- chatting probably to Roland, and then got her coat back on because we know it was cold out to go yep. home. And then she didn't make it home. That's, I mean, that's what it seems like to me. But. Yeah. The only other possibility that I thought of under natural causes, which I which would have shown up on the it would have shown up on the autopsy, so it doesn't matter, was an aneurysm. That's the only thing that can take a perfectly sure. he- healthy person, right? Um, or one of the very few things. But again, they would have been able to determine that. So that right. blows that out of the water. Um, 
Yeah, it just it just it just feels to me again like it's like the food is a real clue here. Like that's the thing to me that yeah. that I would focus on personally. Like what was available to her. And now again, when they're when they're coming out and announcing something as a suicide so quickly, it doesn't feel like they're doing real kind of detective work into those kinds right. of things anyway. But you know what I'm saying? That's where I would yes. start. Um, I don't understand coming for her mother as a as a possible suspect, not only because of what you said, she's lost all of her other family members. Why would she then kill yep. this one? I guess we could argue, is it possible that there would be a, a, a mental health episode that occurred that then she was like, well, I guess I have to send her to be with her father and her brother. That could be possible. But again, I almost think that her having Thelma as a, as a money source kind of blows that out of the water because why would she want to kill off what was providing her money to live? Yeah. Like, and to your point of could it have been a random episode of some sort where she yeah. just kind of had that moment of like, well, I got to send her wherever. I I feel like if it was, it would have ended up with her being like, and I'm going to join my family. Right. Whereas she lived into her 80s. Yeah. It just doesn't track for me. Again, like, I don't know whether there was insurance money she could have collected or not, but I still think that. That, you know, Thelma being at really like doing well in her career, it wouldn't behoove the mother if she was only interested in a relationship with her or partially relationship. Part of her relationship was because of the money. It doesn't make sense that she would then kill her, in my opinion. Um, And how would she pull that off? And was it her physically or did she hire someone? It just falls apart for me. Anyway. Agreed. Um. Jewel is interesting. This is an interesting part of this, too. The fact that she had told this lie about Thelma to the police and the fact that she claimed to see her. Now, again, is it possible she thought she saw her? It was, again, maybe a mental health episode because of something else. Is it possible Thelma lied to her? These things are both possible again, but often it feels like the simplest explanation is true, which is that she was covering for Roland, which goes back to my initial theory I was bringing up regarding the food. Um, and then the stuff, you know, with Roland, it does feel like this story that he basically locked her in the garage as a quote form of punishment makes sense. And then she either turned the car on to try and stay warm or without him realizing, right? Sure. Or she turned it on and, and knowing that she couldn't keep it on for very long because of the carbon monoxide, turned it off. But maybe she fell asleep. I mean, that feels... And the fact that there was no signs of struggle, I mean, that does check. Yeah. And the fact that we know he was abusive, we know he was controlling these kinds of things. Again, I don't know. I could see that. Um, I just feel, again, like... <sighs> it, it, the fact that it also feels that the police had suspected Roland or that he at least knew what happened... The fact that he got into the car, he 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 tainted the crime scene. There's just so many things that are pointing to him. It just feels like, again, sometimes the simplest explanation is true. And it does feel like it could be him to me. Yeah. Um, it's also interesting, too, that he was never officially accused, but it didn't matter. It ruined his career. It ruined his reputation anyway, which does feel like, you know, 
the comeuppance that would make sense for someone energetically if they committed this kind of crime and never got caught, you know? Um, oh, absolutely. I couldn't be happier that his uh, career tanked. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Same, same. Um, yeah, the fact that he allegedly had confessed, the fact that, again, it it kind of makes sense that the story kind of makes sense. Um, I don't know. I feel like that's the way I'm leaning, which I know is kind of boring because typically I go on a they all did it theory or something of the like but I don't know it just feels it just feels like that's the most plausible it has the most motive even though it would technically probably have been an accident Uh, yeah I think that's where I lie what do you think oh I think I'm right there with you yeah I love this I did uh write brief notes to remind myself uh, I did R- Roland West, controlling and possessive. <laughs> yes. Uh, confession that Thelma went to the garage and he locked her in during a fight. Absolutely sounds plausible. Yeah, right? It's it's not even like a far-fetched kind of thing that's like, is he just trying to take credit because then he seems cool or like for straight cred or whatever, but... I don't know. This it just it feels like well that's absolutely something that would happen. Yeah. They were both stubborn people. There's no way they weren't fighting and the idea that he wanted to teach her a lesson is absolutely the bullshit that kind of asshole would try and pull. Yeah. And I absolutely believe she went inside that cafe. Because yeah. the beans and peas is such a weird thing that stands out that drives me crazy. Because they were not served at that club where she was having dinner. And if it had been something that was more – now, granted, I know that this was a different time. But if it had been something that was more like a burger or a milkshake or candy or something that like – that felt like she could have made a stop on the way home. That I I would be like, well, it could kind of – it's kind of – there's nothing. But it's the fact that it was – beans and peas which is so specific right yeah and it feels like yeah she had access to this cafe she had access to this source of food the yeah i don't know i just can't i i can't shake that i i it just feels like that's the the simplest most straightforward answer is it possible the mob still could have been involved absolutely i think it could have is it possible there was another layer of they all did it absolutely but i think at the end of the day the simplest thing in this case just makes sense which was he was mad because she came home later than she said she was going to or what have you and yeah he was like i'll teach you a lesson about that and uh it also tracks, too, if that was the case, that she didn't really fight it, that she just got in the car and went to sleep or got in the car or whatever, like, that she wasn't, like, banging and screaming to get out, that she was just, like, fine. That feels like it was along 100%. the lines of her tone that night, right? Yeah. And I also feel like, and I have nothing to base this on, I feel like it points more towards him being guilty and telling the truth by the fact that he knew if he if he found out that she was dead Sunday morning, he didn't tell anybody. He waited till somebody else found her. Right. Because if somebody else finds the body, he somehow looks less suspicious. Because if you 
come across a body. Like if he went there and it was like, I I happened in the garage. It's like, mm-hmm. But isn't that mm-hmm. also super suspicious too, that they lived and worked in the same building as each other and he didn't find her for another full day? Well, and the people saying like they were looking for her all day and he just kept going, oh yeah, I don't know. Yeah. And it's like on. all it would have taken was be in front of multiple witnesses. Someone says, hey, have you seen her? He goes, huh, that's weird. No, I'll go check and make sure her car's here. Because if not, maybe she's gone somewhere. You go up to the garage. Oh, no. What have you found? And then you come back. Like, there's photos of him at the crime scene, which I will post in the case file, where he's, like, sitting there, like, beside himself. But it's also, like, is it guilt? Because you're like, I'm trying, I feel bad that she's dead, but also, like, I fully get that it was my fault. Yeah. Like, this, usually I'm like, I think it's this, probably this, but this I'm like, oh, 100%, which is wild yeah. to say 100%, but 100% Roland was in this. Yeah. He had to have been. I think he really had to have been. It's just too, there's, just, yeah, where there's smoke, there's fire. Again, he had the access, he had the motive, even if it was accidental. I just, yeah, I think that's it. I agree. Well, listen, solve that one. Check it off the list. (laughs) I'm kidding. Hey, we're Um, one for 94. We're one for... (laughs) And on the most chaotic episode we've ever done. This feels nice. Look at us. You know what? Gosh darn it, we tried. We're doing good work. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Um, listen, Christy Oxborough, amazing work. Thank you so much for, as always, I, I knew nothing about this case coming in and I was riveted the entire time and I feel, I feel very uh, jazzed that I feel like we came to the same conclusion. That's nice. Oh, I like it. Usually we aren't like both the exact same. I Usually know. it's like, well, I agree, but, but this time we're both like, oh no, of everybody. Yeah. It was absolutely him. And who knows? He also maybe foolishly told jewel about it and that's and then she threatened to be like i'll tell the cops that i know it was you so he's like okay here's your 50 grand we're done yeah so come on like it all cops it's open and shut just give us a police computer a police computer in 20 minutes right Uh, And thank you, dear listeners, for listening to this episode of True Crime and Cocktails. We so appreciate your support. If you haven't already, give us a follow on the socials. Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube at True Crime and Cocktails. Twitter at Not Detectives. And if you'd like a little bit more bonus content, more true crime, more of these two chuckleheads, bonus episodes, live Q&As, a poll you can vote in monthly to choose one of the episodes on this here feed of the podcast, go to patreon.com slash Cocktails to learn all about that subscription-based service. And the only place for official True Crime and Cocktails merch is, of course, truecrewmerch.com. So check that out as well. Christy, do you want to say, uh, uh, do you want to tell the people next week's episode? It's it's going to be different than a usual Um we technically we aren't going to be here next week. That's correct. <laughs> in in short, we uh we're taking a a week off. It's uh, what we do, and we're chaotic right now. So maybe it's for the best. Yeah. But after that, on the next true crime and cocktails, which will be September sixth, 
Uh, it will be our July patrons poll winner, Brian Schaefer. That's right, dear listeners. Come back to us September 6th. We're going to be giving you all about the case of Brian Schaefer. And I can't, I don't know anything about that case either. So I cannot wait to learn more about it from my best gal. Christy, do you want to say goodnight to the people? Good night, Nima. Good night, Buzz Buzz. <laughs> <laughs> Audible is the destination for thrilling audio entertainment. Allow your imagination to be piqued by stories that are brought to life through captivating sound design, eerie soundscapes, and dynamic performances. As an Audible member, you'll be able to keep your heart rate up month after month because you can choose one title a month to keep from the entire catalog, including the latest bestsellers and new releases. If you're in the mood for a shocking psychological thriller, check out None of This is True by Lisa Jewell. Embrace brand new exclusive thrillers from best-selling authors who are guaranteed to keep you gripped. New members can try Audible free for 30 days. Visit audible.com slash thrill or text thrill to 500-500. That's audible.com slash thrill or text thrill to 500-500.